Hello, this is Bill Lytell, and this is Wisdom for Your Walk. I just want to share with you some really important information that I have learned through many years of Bible study, meditation, prayer, life, over 50 years in the Bible now. And I want to just, before I get off the scene, want to give you some of these truths that I've had to get and receive by the Holy Spirit through the study of the Bible. First of all, let me to make it clear as I talk about this subject uh, that the uh, issue of everything is the Bible. Your view of the Bible, that's the issue of everything. If you believe like we do in the literal, normal interpretation of Scripture, that every word says what it means, means what it says. If it's a symbol, it's interpreted by how that symbol is used in other places of the Bible. We use the first mention of a subject, the comparative mention of a subject, and then the last mention of the subject, put all that together, and you find out what the subject teaches throughout the Bible, what it is. No scripture stands alone. No prophecies of any private interpretation, Peter says. In other words, it can't stand alone. One verse does not stand alone. It stands on the support of the rest of the verses. So if you come up with an interpretation of a verse and it does not is not supported by the rest of the Bible, then your interpretation is wrong. That's just as simple as it is. Now I want to talk to you about why I'm not a charismatic or a Pentecostal. Uh, obviously, when I first got right with God, 18 years old, I had a lot of decisions to make. Was I going to be a Pentecostal? Was I going to be a charismatic? The movement was just not very strong back in the 70s. Like, But there was a group of people called the Jesus People, and they were still quite active in the Pentecostals. Folks were beginning uh, their infiltration of American Christianity. Uh, first, let me tell you some things that I noticed about them that bothers me and bothered me back then. They had a heavy reliance on feelings. Uh, they had a heavy reliance on feelings. They would use the Bible out of context. A text without a context is a pretext. All words have meanings based on how what and they're used in the surrounding texts around them and how they're commonly used. They weighed experience over the written word of God. That was a problem. Uh, the Bible, I believe, is a final authority. It settles all arguments. They didn't. They believed their experience was more important and outweighed the scripture. There was an angel from heaven come and preaches any other gospel to you than that which I've preached unto you. Let him be a curse, Galatians chapter 1, according to Paul. So Paul says, look, if an angel appears up to you, you have an experience, but it contradicts the Bible. The Bible's right, and the experience and the angel is wrong. Another thing was weighing the written word by their experience. So they, they were weighing experience over the written word, and then they weighed the written word by their experience. They interpreted the Bible by their experience rather than allowing the Bible to stand on its own two feet. Lack of security... Personal spiritual security and peace also, I notice, in their lives day after day. They also had a philosophy that end justified the means attitude concerning their actions. In other words, if I got somebody saved, I could violate the Word of God. I had girls, uh, Pentecostal girls, where I lived on Fort Myers Beach, that would uh, allure guys through their dress and things so that they could talk to them about Jesus. That was their ends justified the means. Of course, the Bible is absolutely against that and condemns that. 
The lack of separation from worldly things also I noticed. They were very worldly. They uh, listened to secular rock music. They listened to they developed a thing called Christian rock music. That was a that's a queer thing. That's a an anomaly. There really can't be rock music and Christian together. Now you can put Christian words with rock music, but one of them's wrong. And according to Hosea, I believe it is, if you holy touches unholy, what happens? Everything's unholy. So you can take the holy word of God and put it with the unholy music, and it's unholy. So that don't work. Predominance of females in both uh, in, in both response and leadership. In other words, it was a female-led movement, the charismatic movement to this day now. has developed some 40, 50 years since then. And it has made itself real clear that it's a female-driven, female-responded uh, um, uh, to, meaning females respond to the feely-touchy, emotion-experience-type uh, so-called Christianity. So I believe the Bible is clear where it says, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away the error of the wicked fall, from your own steadfastness. It says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So it wouldn't warn you you could lose something if you couldn't lose it. I believe you can lose your reward. You won't lose your salvation, but if you mess up, you're going to lose your reward. In Matthew 24, 4, Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. In Ephesians 5, 6, it says, let no man deceive you with vain words. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means. Um, in 1 John 3, 7, it says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And then 2 Corinthians eleven three, Paul warns, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguile Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And so... Let's just all agree together that a Christian can be beguiled, a Christian can be um, deceived, a Christian that would not warn us about deception if a Christian couldn't be deceived. Make sense to you? Also, uh, just because somebody comes up to you and says they had a dream, well, they did that way back in uh, Jeremiah's day and Ezekiel's day. Let me read you some verses, Jeremiah 23 26, 27 says, How long uh, shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. So in other words, He says, and and there's many more references, both in Ezekiel as well as Jeremiah. The prophets had risen up and said, God told me, God told me. Be careful when people say that. Be careful. God told me, God told me. Be so careful. Um, I would rarely ever, ever, ever refer to that unless it was absolutely I would be willing to die for it. And that the Bible agreed with what I said. So you have the prophets lying, they dreamed, they misled the people. I don't have, uh, you can go to chapter 23 of Jeremiah and read more on that, verse 28, 29, 30. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, it says, For he that cometh and preacheth another Jesus, which ye have not preached, 
Or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with them. What Paul basically says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are many Jesuses, there are many spirits, there are many gospels. But there's only one right gospel, there's only one spiritual gospel, there's only one biblical gospel. And so what your responsibility and my responsibility as a born-again believer is, is to find what's biblical and to find what's right. And God gives you a head on your shoulders. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you the Word of God. You can find out what's right. You just got to keep reading the Word without a whole bunch of other people influencing you and commentary and you, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and all these other things leading you astray on your interpretation. So what I found in brief, and I have to quit now, is when I examine the, the charismatic movement, Pentecostal movement, and this has been over a 50-year period of time, and it's gotten worse, not better. They had unbiblical teaching of women's role in the church. They had an unbiblical healing concept. They didn't have biblical healing. James chapter 5 tells you how we're supposed to heal in the church. Uh, they had unbiblical tongues. Acts chapter 2 tells you the healing of the New Testament. Um 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 14 makes it clear that if you speak in tongues, it must be by only by three, and there must be an interpreter for each one of those, and only men can speak in tongues. The Bible says women are to keep silent in the church, and that's talking in the concept there of tongues and context of speaking in tongues in the church. So in the church, women should not be leading the process. They shouldn't be, I don't believe they should be leading music. I don't believe they should be teaching men. The Bible said in Timothy, a woman is not to teach or usurp authority over a man. <clears throat> so you can't have a woman in areas of theology teaching men or, or leading men, uh, usurping authority where a man ought to be. Men need to come up, take their place where they need to be, and lead the, lead the deal. That's it's just, it's just God's way, by the way. You can argue with that how you want. Also, I saw worldliness prevalent everywhere. Uh, I saw promotion of ecumenicalism, meaning this so-called healing, speaking in tongues, and worlds of women began to unite people that, that doctrinally were uh, heretical, and they began to unite them. They even disagreed with each other. Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Methodists, uh, non-denominationals, Catholics, all began to unite together, yet they have very, very deep differences between each other and uh, should really not unite. The Bible talks real clearly that we're not to have anything to do with someone who uh, is disobedient. In Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now, you can argue with that all you want, but that's what it says. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14, 16 says, If any man obey not the word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. You count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's talking about a guy that calls himself a brother that's deviant in his doctrine. Then you just got to stay away from him. Uh, you're not supposed to be buddy-buddy, not supposed to in 1 Corinthians 5, someone in sin is called a brother. You're not even supposed to eat with them. In uh, 2 John, it says if you if you partake with them, if you call, bring them into your house even, you're a partaker of their evil deeds. So you're not even supposed to bid them Godspeed, according to 2 John. And so all of that put together, and I know this is very quick, 
it'll help you get a grip on this. And the sixth thing I noticed is they promoted an out-of-control type of a worship of God. They actually were proud of the fact it was out of control. Uh, when when the, the ninth fruit of the Spirit is what? Temperance. The ninth fruit of the Spirit has to do with control, not out of control. Everything about God is control. If you look at science or look around at biology, everything is in control. Everything does uh, after, produces after its kind over and over and over again consistently. And the, the lion's share of everything around us is, is in control. And worship of God should be holy and controlled. And, and I'm not saying you don't shout amen, glory to God, hallelujah, but it's done decently and in order. I hope this helps you. Why I'm not a charismatic, there are many reasons why not to be, but that is for sure helpful to you, hopefully. By the grace of God, wisdom for your walk, Bill Lytell.